Welcome to the Inclusive Education Project. I'm Vicki Brett. I'm Amanda Salohi. We're two civil rights lawyers on a mission to change the conversation about education, civil rights, and modern activism. Each week, we're going to explore new topics which are going to educate and empower others and give them a platform to enact change in education and level the playing field. Welcome to the Inclusive Education Project podcast. I'm doing that. We haven't done that in a long time. <laughs> we haven't done that in a long time. Are you going to introduce us to? <laughs> oh, this is Vicki. This is Amanda. <laughs> we have a guest, and so we're doing it via Skype, and we haven't done that in a long time. We haven't. We had some technical difficulties, which... And so let, then it put me like in a state of like, let's follow protocol and introduce people. Let's be honest. We have a lot of technical <laughs> difficulties. We are not tech people. Oh, Lord. <laughs> we made it, though. What are you doing this weekend? Oh, know. I'm having a pool party with family. Oh, that'll be fun. Yeah, it's starting to get hot. Yeah, which it's is nice. so nice. Yeah. So for people not in California, sorry, sorry not sorry, <laughs> but that's we just what's it. happening. Yeah, we do pay yeah. for it. Well, we're just going to get right into it because we have an exciting guest today. So as you guys know, we are special education attorneys. We always say we're attorneys. We're not your attorneys. And, you know, we have a lot of questions on the Facebook group about different people that help. And we've had a podcast where we talk about advocates. We've talked about speech and language pathologists, occupational therapists, all these people that are part of that village, right, that's helping raise that child. And one of the people that kind of is in a field of their own are educational consultants. And there's different names for them. But I'm going to introduce Brandy, who's with us today. And she's going to kind of tell you a little bit more about how she helps families navigate through the maze of special education. Hi, Brandy. Hi, thanks for having me. Yes, there are multiple different names that come up when you kind of look up consultants. There's educational consultants that focus primarily just on the general education world. And then there are special education consultants, which is what I do. And so really what my focus is really helping families understand the world of special education and understand kind of how to make it through their path in their own individual way. So what I often do is I I often work with families at the beginning of the process. So that might be a family who hasn't even maybe started the assessment process, but is concerned or the schools are sharing concerns or a lot of times they just have a feeling. They just have Mm -hmm. a hunch. Something's not quite right. And even though maybe they've gone to pediatricians and everybody says they're fine, they know something's not right. And so sometimes that's where we start. And it's really just starting to, you know, I kind of consider myself a detective in that way, is sort of starting to figure out what's going on. Is there something going on? And then really helping families down the whole path. And it is a different path for different families. And so for some families, I do a lot of work with early intervention and I help them through that process. For some families, I do a lot of work with the special education piece of things, you know, like you said, not necessarily the the legal end of things, but really just understanding what this is. How did you get involved in this area, in this field? Well, that's sort of the funny, my interesting background is that I have been a district employee for almost 30 years, and I've worked as a special ed teacher. I've worked as a behaviorist. I've worked as a special education administrator. I've provided you know, extensive staff training, both nationally and internationally in autism and behavior and other special ed areas. And through all of that, I think one of the things that I always struggled with a little bit is feeling like families were coming to the table 
just lost. And oftentimes really scared, being a parent myself, understanding that, you know, somebody's saying basically there's maybe something wrong with your child and here's the information, but not understanding anything of what that meant. And so what would happen is more often than not, it would move very quickly to sort of anger and, you know, fighting and all that, you know, special ed can kind of be known for. And so many times I'd be sitting at the table watching the families and thinking, they're just scared. They just don't understand what's going on. And when we're scared, what do we do? We fight and we get, you know, we're going to protect our kids and that's really what we do. And so oftentimes I would sit there and I would like, you know, stop an IEP meeting and I'd say, you know what, let's wait a minute, let's wait a minute. And I would say, it sounds like maybe you're thinking this. Right. From mm-hmm. the you're like, yes, you know, it sounds like you're thinking we're talking about there's no hope for your child or whatever. And then they'd be like, yes, that's what I hear. And it's like, okay, let's take a step back because that's yeah. not where we're going with this. But I so often compare it to like, God forbid something happens to your child medically and you walk in and all of a sudden there's not an expectation, say in the medical field, that you're supposed to be an expert overnight, that you're just supposed to understand everything. Right. You're supposed to, you trust what the doctors say and you, and you follow that path. But in special education, it is kind of its own beast in that way that all of a sudden parents are kind of expected to know everything overnight. Yeah, I think that's something that I think a lot of times school teams kind of forget, unfortunately. You know, a lot of times school psychologists and special ed teachers, they have so many IEPs, and especially if they've been doing it for so many years, they get stuck in this rut of thinking that parents know what they're talking about, know what the word present levels of performance means, or that phrase. They know what goals mean, right? And so especially with these first IEPs, these initial IEPs, we get so many teams, and I've been with families to initial IEPs all the time, where they walk in and there's no explanation of what is a present level, right? And I think that's one of the biggest things, problems, is that we set these families up the schools expect them to understand the same base of knowledge that they do, and they don't. And it's exactly what you said. It's a matter of families being scared, families not knowing. And, you know, I've had a lot of, we always say, just like you, start with them at the beginning. And we love that because that's what we always say. Like, we'd love to be able to help a family through their initial IEP because they need that extra walkthrough. They need to be guided through. And I wish more schools would do that for initial, like have some kind of, I don't know, like a class or something that a family could take on what is an IEP before you even get there. I think that's exactly right. And a lot of times when I'm working with school-based teams, we do actually run-throughs and practice of that. Like, really just explaining what the meeting is going to be like. So first, we're going to go through an assessment, and then, you know, this is the information that you're going to get. And then we're going to look at eligibility. We don't even know if there's eligibility. And then there's a kind of a second part of the meeting, and that's where an IEP is developed. And, you know, I've had families that have said just that piece of information helped me understand because Mm -hmm. they didn't even understand that the student wasn't eligible yet. Like, they thought they were at an IEP, so that meant that they're going to go to Yeah, protocol. Right, 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 yeah. So that's really a big part of it. And I do think that oftentimes, you know, what you said about school teams, that yes, they have a lot and they're, you know, they have so much to do. And at the same time, I think that as educators, it's hard to disconnect a little bit. Like you're ready. You're as an educator, you're like, I got a plan. I know what we should do and I'm excited and I love your kid and I'm ready to go. And so they present it in that way as if assuming that the parent is already there. Right. They're not. Right. And so... You know, sometimes talking with parents, just explaining that, like, they're not coming from bad intentions, teachers. They're, like, ready to go. They're just down the road. And 
And, you know, I've again, with doctors where you sit down and they're like already telling you what the treatment's going to be. And you're right. like, whoa, I don't even know. Hold on. Like, you need to slow down. What are we even talking about here? Right. So really, I think slowing down that process. And, you know, one of the big things that I talk to families a lot about, especially when I'm talking, I'm starting off early, is sort of that intention, what everybody's intention mm-hmm. is. And to be able to go in to say, it's okay to be able to say, like, I feel like you're pushing me along, or I feel, and for a teacher to be able to say, oh my gosh, that's not my intention at all, like, I didn't mean, as opposed to, like, just holding all that in, and then getting angry and feeling like you're not heard, it's like, let's talk about how do we build that relationship, and one of the things that I talk to families about, I talk to both families and school districts about, is the idea that this is really a lifelong relationship that you're building. Right. And so if you do this and do that and do that, but then we get to leave and then they still are left with the relationship that is still working to meet the needs of their child. And so it, just like any relationship, just like your husband or your children, it's like, let's think about how do we build that relationship because, you know, like it or not, we're all stuck with each other for a while. So, but I just really find that families, they thrive when they have the information that when they understand, when they know what they need to know, then they just feel better. They feel more powerful. They feel like they can, you know, make decisions that are important for their yeah. kids. Well, we always talk about how with a lot of kids, we have to set very clear expectations and that helps with behavioral components. The same goes for everyone. The more clear expectations you have, the higher likelihood that there's not going to be a miscommunication. I mean, oh. I see that just like what you were saying. I mean, if you guide them through their process, because I get families that will go through an assessment and they'll like, like, you know, interrupt a team and go, well, what are you going to do about it, right? Because they're talking about an right. area of deficit. And the family right. automatically goes to, okay, what are we going to do about it? And the team might say, well, we'll talk we'll about that later. Yeah. Right. That statement, I think, is really hurtful because then families hear that and they go, okay, so you're not going to answer my question, right. Right? right? Especially because, like, you go through a 40-page assessment that goes over 15 different deficits. By the time we get to the point where we're actually discussing the intervention for that deficit, family's already heard 15 other things that they're like, well, I don't remember, you know, that explanation. So sometimes it's helpful to not get so pigeonholed into procedure and think logically. And I think that goes for both parents and school teams to just really be able to sit down and be like, okay, how is this coming off? Is there a better way that we can approach it? So that way everyone understands. And I think it's that communication as well is, you know, having them explain, you know, what they're saying, because oftentimes a parent will just kind of nod along and it's like, they're not really understanding what's happening. And very few times will a parent interrupt and be like, wait, I don't understand what that means. What are you saying? And so I imagine that you kind of prep them for some of that terminology and things like that. I mean, there's so many acronyms in special education. It's so helpful when you actually know what, you know, a plop is or whatnot, you know. Absolutely. And, you know, even as a support for a parent to be able to say to them, it's okay to ask what that means like that, you know, Mm -hmm. again, every expert is going to slip into their kind of, you know, language that they use. And it's okay to stop them and ask them, you know, what does that mean? I don't know what that means. And oftentimes my experience is people be like, oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. You know, let me go back and explain that. One of the other things that I work with parents once we get to the IEP process is really I look at IEPs as connecting the dots and that there's a purpose for the order that goes into because mm. present level lead to goal yes. lead to services. And so sometimes that's helpful for parents just to understand that idea as opposed to, you know, they're not like, keeping a secret from you, but there is a reason 
that we don't start with services because we have to look at, you know, what the goals are driving and, you know, how that makes sense. And then most people are like, oh, that makes sense. I actually want that because then I'm sure that the services are going to match with the needs of my child. I've had families that have gone through like 10 annual IEPs and they've never been explained that process and that always causes problems so I mean yeah it goes back to explaining how an IEP functions is so necessary but not just for the initial IEP because it could be a year right and so and these families go through so much that it needs to be explained each time I think and not just Mm -hmm. for the parent but for the rest of the team because you could have an occupational therapist that's just one year out of school that wasn't in legal classes to learn about how IEP law and procedure works, right? So they deal in their own, you know, fine motor and sensory, all this, their zone, right? And so sometimes they may not understand. So like I get, and the reason I bring that up is I get IEP teams where I'll have a specialist say, well, you know, to the parent's request for an additional goal, well, I only have 30 minutes with this child. I already am struggling to work on the goals as it is, so I couldn't possibly add another goal. That person doesn't understand that goals drive the services, and so you could change the service if you had to add in a goal, and you add a goal if it's appropriate. And so I think it works on both sides, being able to make sure that everyone understands that procedure, because I think that eliminates some miscommunication. I've seen teams, you know, print out an agenda, and it's just a very basic agenda. Mm -hmm. I think taking it one step further, and I mean, I was just at one where there's a whiteboard, and they put everything up. And so then let's say the parent has a question. Well, what are we going to do about that? You know, and we're in the middle of the school psych explaining, you know, an evaluation. And whoever is at the whiteboard will write down, okay, parent, we're going to get to that. It's over here. And, you know, that just that acknowledgement, because we'll get to that later. Or even if they were to say, you know what, we have a plan for that. It involves having this service, but you know what, we're going to talk about that. You know, that goes a long way. I've had a couple teams do this. We're on that whiteboard. They have like they even put lines and they have three different sections and it goes present levels goals services and it literally Mm -hmm. makes it so much easier because what happens often is everyone especially when you have a triennial or an initial right we have so many assessments if you have one person up on the whiteboard and every time there's an area there's a deficit you're writing it on there Mm -hmm. you have one designated person to do it then when you get to goals oftentimes a school team will propose five goals, but then if you had gone through the areas of deficit, you might have had 15. And that's where a lot of times parents get really upset because they go, you said in the assessment that this area was an area of deficit, but you didn't create a goal. Why didn't you create a goal? And now there might be an explanation and a discussion why that's not because maybe we put in accommodation or maybe right now it's not impeding the learning, you know, quite to the level that, you know, would warrant a goal. But By having it visually, I think it's easier to have that explanation and that discussion because otherwise, if you don't, if you just have a team that says, well, that's not a goal we're proposing, then the parents will hang on to that goal for years. Mm -hmm. I've been Mm -hmm. asking for a goal in this Mm -hmm. area for years, and that's Mm -hmm. why my kid can't read. Well, that's problematic. I do think that that even, you know, kind of takes the conversation back to those initial years, those initial you know, relationships when I'm working with families when they're just getting into the world and really being able to explain what the truth is and what isn't the truth because there's so much out there. And that's another thing that I find in special ed, which which I think is kind of an interesting dynamic that's pretty specific to special ed, that everybody's an expert mm-hmm. and everybody's an expert across, you know, areas that because they've maybe experienced it. But what happens is there's a lot of misinformation that gets out there. 
And that really does, I think it's one of the leading pieces in parents feeling overwhelmed and confused is because, you know, this person who had, you know, a kid who did this, said this, and this person said this, and then they don't know what to believe or what not to believe. And so I think a, you know, big part of what I do and a consultant should do, because again, you know, there's you guys for lawyers, there's advocates, there's people to do other things. But as a consultant, it's really about educating and teaching parents and helping them understand is to be able to say like, that's not actually, you know, the case, Mm -hmm. or that's not what we do, or that's not how, you know, so I do a lot of that. Like I get a lot of parents who call me and say, this happened. Does that sound right? And sometimes I'll say, yeah, actually that is right. And let me explain to you why, you know, maybe the way they said it wasn't exactly right, but let me explain it or say, you know what, that's actually a concern. Let's like look into that a little bit more. So you focus, Um, you don't necessarily go to IEP meetings. You will though, I guess parents ask, but you're really focused in on really just that educational component, you know, based on experience. Like what needs to happen next? Yeah, Yeah, I do a lot of, I do sit in IEPs, but again, even when I go to an IEP, I'm very much about, you know, I'm supporting and educating the parent and oftentimes the school team. I mean, the best result is when because I have so much experience on both sides that I, you know, to be able to say like, what do we think about this? And what if we look at things this way, which, you know, works for the student, but also maybe shifts the way a school district has looked at things in the past, which is great. That's the best case. I do a lot of helping families develop IEPs. And so a lot of goal writing, changing goals, you know, getting assessments. I do, I break down assessments for them and to help them understand what's being said. If there's areas that feels like maybe they need to look a little more, I really help them with that. My best case is that they don't ever need me or anybody to go to an IEP that they're able to walk in and they have the information they need. They have the questions, they have the concerns. We've talked about how they're comfortable presenting that and then they feel good. And then a lot of times they'll come over, you know, we'll meet afterwards and then we go through it again. And then sometimes I do go and usually that's based on, you know, maybe an IEP team that's just kind of stuck or right. the parents really are feeling kind of helpless. And so I'll go and I'll help with that as well. Um, so ideally you're like giving the parents like a toolbox. And then when they go into this IEP meeting, they can open up the toolbox and use these tools to be able to do what it is that you would be able to do or what we would be able to do in the IEP meeting because they have so many years of them. Right. I mean, I think that that's ultimately what we all want for parents is for them to be able to work collaboratively with the school team to be able to make sure that their child gets what they need to understand what the function of an IEP and a school program is. And then, and I also work with families, not only in the school piece. And so I also help families maybe supplement and look what else maybe they can be doing to help, you know, fill the whole life program for a student because, you know, the education piece is only one part of it. The school program is only one part of it. And so we'll often look at the whole picture. You know, he's struggling here, he's struggling here. Let's figure out how we can really look at this from all parts. And and I think that's what makes my role kind of fun and special for families is that I can look kind of in all those directions for them. And we focus on the school, but then we also focus, okay, so this is what they're offering and this is what this program is going to look like. And now you're wanting this, so let's look at where we can get those pieces to. Yeah, and it sounds like, you know, on your experience and then other things that you do to kind of educate yourself, obviously, 
what the listeners may not know is that Brandy, you had found our podcast, right? And you had seen and kind of heard and, and we appreciate the listen. But you know, that's what we see oftentimes in our Facebook group. We have district administrators, we have teachers, we have just so many different people. And that has always been, you know, the idea behind Air Nonprofit. And obviously, the podcast is just to get the conversation started. So that's why, you know, we always say it, we're like, if you're a district person, please reach out. And obviously, you're in the private sector now. But yeah, you're one of the first ones. And we were like, so excited and delighted that you wanted to come on because oftentimes, you know, parents want somebody to be combative. And Amanda and I always start from that collaboration, you catch more flies with honey, right? And at the end of the day, it's the child that we really need to focus on. And there's a lot of hurt. And I think that that's important. You know, sometimes I will let parents say their piece. And then I just kind of summarize it and say, but we're here and we're moving forward. And that I think brings the team back to this human connection. Because a lot of times parents are still grieving. You know, they thought, you know, I was going to have a child that there's just certain issues that have arisen. And the district has seen the kid and has, you know, had the IEP, you know, for years. And I think we see that a lot. Amanda and I say we're counselors in every sense of the word. And it sounds like you too kind of have that component where that empathy and you're able to kind of summarize to a team, you know, this is where parent is coming from. But you also give parent the tools to kind of share their feelings as well, which is important. I was going to say, I think that compassion piece is very important all around. You know, in my perfect world, there would never be an us versus them. Like, I don't, you know, I've been in the field a long time, and I've worked across different types of districts. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it makes me a little bit sad in that way that it feels so much that special ed is, you know, and we immediately jump to us versus them as opposed to, we're all in this, you know, you have special educators that love kids, you have parents that are, you know, passionate and desperate to make sure their kids get what they need. And, you know, the third kind of ring of that is we have education systems, we have federal law, we have these other things that guide us as well. And so it really is about kind of bringing all of those pieces together and to say, this is what we can do. This is what we want to do. Let's come to a place where we can and really continue, like you said, focusing on the child and take out all the the other stuff that kind of gets in the way. The ego and the, yeah. yeah. And even the hurt. I mean, I think that, you know, like you said, I think that by not acknowledging kind of the pain, it's easy to forget. Again, I think most of my experience has been that it comes from a place of like, we're here to get the job done. Like we're not, you know, we're ready and we're confident, but you forget that, you know, families are coming from the same place. Uh, years ago, my husband had heart surgery. He's fine. That's not really mm-hmm. the, the story. But I think back to that time because we met with the heart surgeon. Right. And, you know, it was obviously a traumatic emotional experience for us. And he was just like, what are you worried about? Like, I'm going to cut him I'm going to fix the heart. Right. He's going to be good. He's great, you know. And I think that a lot of times, you know, we forget to not just be the heart surgeon and to be like, okay, well, let's take a minute to just, acknowledge what's going on and help parents. But again, I do think that there's so much that somebody outside of the system can help parents with so that they're ready to enter into kind of the world in a, like you said, with a really strong toolbox full of skills, knowledge, 
and an understanding of how the system works so that they're ready, you know, they're ready to be a part of the team as opposed to just somebody sitting at the table. So Brandy, if any of those parents out there that are listening wanted to connect with you, how can they do that? They can check out my website and it's brandyrosenconsulting.com. They can also email me at brandyrosenconsulting at gmail.org. And, or they can give me a call at 818-857-7359. Excellent. Ooh, that 818 number. I have an 818 number. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. She's... Out there in the Agora Hills Valley area. Yeah. Yep. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> you don't see the, I'm in Orange County now and I don't see the 818 as often and I always get 818. <laughs> Oh, that feels familiar. Yeah. <laughs> and you can check out more information on Brandy's website. We'll have it in the show notes and all the other information about how to give her a call or email her. We hope you guys enjoyed this episode. And again, we ask that if you are a district administrator, you know, we don't have to talk about the district that you work for. If you're currently working or you're a teacher or you feel like you have a story that you need to share, please give us a call. We're going to have a lot of great and different guests as our podcast yeah. kind of gets it yeah, to reach I, out there we I, get more and more people that want to come on so that's yeah helpful I to think us. it's important to have different perspectives so I think a lot of times like some what you said making sure that we're seeing both sides to it parents yeah. often say well this is happening or that's happening and there might be a rhyme or reason to why certain things happen yes. the way yes. they do and you know <laughs> all right and <laughs> you will listen to us next week thanks bye bye bye